Okay, po, for this segment, we'll be looking at the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, one of the fundamental Christian confessions of our faith is believing that our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, He was died, and He was buried. You see, these three words are familiar to us because of the Apostles' Creed, because of the Nicene Creed. And for us this time, we, we na pakinggan natin kanina yung, yung exhortation about his crucifixion, exhortation about his death. And this time we will be looking at the significance of the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so with that, let us read from John chapter 19, 31 to 42. Let us stand for in reverence to God's word. Let's start with verse 31. Since it was dead the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their, that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Oops. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him in whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They laid Jesus there. And let's um, say a short prayer, Paul. Father, as we look at the details of this day, O Lord God, we look upon and may we learn, O Lord God, of your provision, O Lord, of your providence, O Lord God, of your glory and your providence, O Jesus. And we know, O Lord God, that all these things happen, O Lord God, with no moment, O Lord God, that has passed, O Lord God, without you knowing, without you planning. Thank you, Lord God, for this time. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Holy Spirit, be our guide. Guide your servant, I pray, O Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us be seated po. For this short exhortation, I will be sharing as the burial fit for the King of Kings. You see, if when a great leader or a prom prominent person passes away, oftentimes um, there will be a great memorial held for them, there will be vigils, long processions, and if celebrities pass passes away, usually there will be concerts uh, in honor of their name, in remembrance of them. And this is not new, because even ancient people were fascinated by death. 
tingnan nyo na nga lang yung two of the seven wonders of the world, the Taj Mahal and the pyramids. Both of them were made uh, in honor of the dead. O wag na tayo lumayo. We just look at the our November 1. Pag bumisita tayo sa ating mga patay, di ba? We know where the rich people are buried because they are the ones with tombs and mausoleums bigger than our houses. Pero when we look at the burial of our Lord Jesus, you know, in earthly standards, it looks like it's unsightly. It looks like it's untimely. But actually, the providence of the Lord is in full display. His power is in full display. Um, in the Bible, po, there are two ways that the Lord displays His power and His glory. The first way is by miracles. And the second way is by prophecies. And not just prophecies, but prophecies that come to pass. And a um, perfect example po nito yung birth ng ating Panginoon. Diba? When He was born, He was born in a humble way, in a lowly way. And yet, He was very glorious. Why? Because He was marked with miracles. There was the birth of John the Baptist. There was the virgin birth. There was the appearance of the angels. Those are all miracles. And it was marked with prophecies. Because the birth of Jesus was foretold in the book of Isaiah, in Micah, and in Hosea. Now as we look at the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, it seemed untimely, especially for the disciples, who seem, all of a sudden, it, the ministry of our Lord Jesus has been as abruptly cut off. It seems inconvenient because ang main, ang, according to binasa natin, it was the day of preparation. They have to rush everything before sundown. But yet, the providence of the Lord is in full display at the time. And time and time again, as we've read this morning, sa mga kasama natin sa, na nag-share this, this morning, uh, time and time again, they were, they were saying this happened and that happened in fulfillment of the scriptures. Because it was the Lord actually making a way for His purpose to be fulfilled. And we will be looking at those prophecies today. The first prophecy is the prophecy of unbroken bones. Let us read it again po, uh, briefly. Since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and, they, and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Let us briefly look at the details. Ang sabi doon, it was the day of preparation, which means it's a Friday. They were actually preparing for the Sabbath, which is the next day. And it was no, no ordinary Sabbath. It was mentioned there, it's a high Sabbath. Why? Because it was the Sabbath during Passover week. And here, ang sabi doon, the Jews. Yung Jews dito, actually, John was referring to the Jewish leaders. And we can see their hypocrisy. Uh, they, they didn't want to leave a dead body hanging on a Sabbath day because it would, leave, it would make the land unclean. But yet, they were willing to kill Jesus, who was an innocent man. And they asked for this because they know crucifixion. They know it takes two to three days for a person to die. And that's the reason why they were asking Pilate to break the legs of this, 
of this uh, crucified people. And when the soldiers take, uh, when the soldiers went there, they will actually take an iron mallet, yung maso po, nagawa sa bakal, and then they will smash the thigh bones. And then it will speed up their death because they will die of internal bleeding, of shock, and more painful is the asphyxiation. Hindi na po sila makakahinga because they cannot push themselves up. And this is what the soldiers did to the other two persons. But when, came, when they came to the Lord Jesus, when they saw that he was dead, they did not break his legs in accordance to the scriptures. In Psalm 34, 20, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And this, po, this is such a significant detail. This is such a significant prophecy. And it came in such a significant timing. You know, they were celebrating Passover. And the Bible says that a Passover lamb should have not any broken bone, no spot, no stain. And that what, that's our Lord Jesus Christ. He was sinless, he was pure, and now he has no broken bone. And what is the Passover? It is time, it's a time for them to remember that the blood of sheep made a distinction between their homes, the house of the Jews, and the house of the Egyptians. It made a distinction between those who will live and those who will die. But this time around, it's the blood of the Lamb of God who also makes a distinction. A distinction between the saved and the unsaved. Between those who will inherit eternal life and those who will face eternal judgment. As the Bible says, Jesus will be a ransom for many. Two keywords, Paul. Ransom is someone paying the price for us. And the other keyword is many. The Bible did not use the word all because many will, will be saved, but not all will be saved. And that's the reality po. The Lord is making a big change. The Lord is establishing a new covenant. It's not about the blood of sheep and the blood of bulls anymore. It's about the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's not about their traditions and their outward display of faith. It's about believing in Him and putting the faith in whom the Lord has sent. And it's not about the synagogues and temples anymore. Because it's about, it's whether the temple of God is living in you. Let's go to the other prophecy. A prophecy of whom they have fears. Let's continue to read on to verse 34. It said there, But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. You know, it seems just like a random act of the soldier. It seems like he was just doing his duty, dutifully checking whether our Lord Jesus is really dead. Marami po sa atin nakapanood na ng storya ng Passion of the Christ, right? You know, if we look at it as just a story from the triumphal entry to the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, kung talagang story lang siya, it's easy to figure out kung sino po yung mga kontrabida. It's easy to figure out sino yung villain. First will be the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders in their hypocrisy and in their jealousy. Then maybe it will be the soldiers in their indifference and in their violence. And maybe Pilate who tries to wash his hands of his guilt literally by washing his hands. But then when we add the prophecy, but when we add the Old Testament verses, 
that narrative changes drastically. Let's look at those verses. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me and on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And let's read Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You know, after adding this prophecy, we're equally guilty as those villains. Because it, the prophecy tells us the real reason why the Lord is hanging on the cross. He's telling us that he was crushed for our iniquities, not just our, their iniquities. He was crushed for our sins. You know, if we look at it on one side, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders in their hypocrisy, the other side, the soldiers in, in their own violence and in their own indifference, insulting the Lord Jesus. One of them have their own form of evil. Another them, another form of evil. Coming together, they form an injustice, a great injustice. And yet in that injustice, the Lord's purpose has prevailed. Because if you read that prophecy, ang sabi doon, it was that chastisement that brought us peace. What does chastisement mean? Severe punishment. A punishment that it should have been uh, given to us and yet the Lord has given us peace. And lastly, let, let us look at the next prophecy that was fulfilled. The prophecy of a rich man's tomb. And let, let's read uh, verse 40 to 42. So they took the body of Jesus, embalmed in linen cloths with the spices, as in the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and a garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Sa verse 38 po and up to 39, we will find two persons mentioned by name. One is Joseph of Arimathea, and the other one is Nicodemus. Um, Joseph of Arimathea, interestingly, was mentioned in all four Gospels. Ang description sa kanya ni John is, uh, if we, if sa, uh, sa ating binasa, that he was secretly a disciple of Christ for fear of the Jews. Mm, that's not a good description, di ba po? And yet, in the other Gospels, he was described as a good man, a righteous man. So what kind of righteousness does he have? It's only righteousness by grace. And why was he in fear? Because he was a member of the Sanhedrin, the same council that sentenced Jesus to death. In other gospel accounts, it says he did not approve of what the, the council has done. And in another gospel, it says that he was described as someone who was waiting for the kingdom of God. In the account of Mark, he took up the courage to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus. Bakit po? Because he was risking his life, he was risking his reputation. And the other one is Nicodemus. 
The first time we read of him is in John chapter 3. A Pharisee who went to Jesus at night. And Jesus presented to him the gospel of being born again. Naalala niyo yung sabi ni Lord Jesus na, You cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He was actually talking to Nicodemus. So Pilate gave permission for them to have the body. And together they would have brought the body down. The gospel accounts mention that Joseph bought the linen to wrap the body of Jesus. And nabasa natin kanina, Nicodemus brought near and aloe to treat the body of Jesus. Uh, they did it because the Jews did not embalm their dead. And they, they, they used the mirror and the aloe to battle the, uh, the stench, the decaying smell. So what could have been their motive of doing this? Maybe, maybe lang po, speculation lang. Maybe they felt guilty for not being able to stop the council. Or maybe they felt remorse for being strict followers of Jesus that they decided to openly do something for him one last time. Hindi po talaga natin alam, hindi natin masasagot. But what we do know, that these two secret followers are there. And the other disciples who are with Jesus every day, where are they now? Asan po si Peter at this time? What we know is that they are there doing what they are doing so that the, the scriptures will be fulfilled. Isaiah 53 verse 8 to 9 by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. It is an important detail because usually the crucified people after they're taken down from the cross, they will just be thrown into a garbage dump. They would be incinerated. They will be burned. But the Lord did not allow that to happen. See, there's another description of Joseph of Arimathea. He was described as a rich man. And the reason he was mentioned so that the Lord's plan will come into play. See, the Lord will not allow his Holy One, to see corruption. And that is in Psalm 16, verse 10. Kung titingnan po natin, the Jewish leaders had their own agenda. The soldiers also are following their own agenda. And these two secret followers, they have their own personal agenda. But the end of it all, the Lord's will and purpose has prevailed. A burial fit for the King of Kings is the one prepared for since creation since the beginning of time. And what do these miracles mean to us? What do these prophecies tell us? It tells us that the scriptures are true. And if the scriptures are true, it means what the scriptures tells about Jesus Christ is also true. And where does it all lead us? Let us read one more prophecy po. And this prophecy has not yet come to pass. And it's in Revelations chapter 5. 6 to 10. Hindi ko na po i-flash dyan. But follow me po. Revelations 5, 6 to 10. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he went and took, took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, 
the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And because the prophecies of Jesus came to pass, prophecies about his birth, about his life, about his works, about his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, we can be assured that this prophecy here in Revelation will also come to pass. And this, my brothers and sisters, is our blessed hope. And with that, po, let us reflect in prayer. Po. May I request po, for the worship team? For our first prayer point, to re be reminded as Christians to submit to the will and purpose that God has set before us, to be disciples and make disciples, to serve rather than to be served, that may we find courage in knowing that our Lord is ever in control, ever faithful in our Christian journey. Let us pray, Pope. Father, truly, you are indeed in control, Lord God, of everything, Lord God. You have blessed us, Lord God, with different ministries, Lord God, different vocations, Lord God, maybe at work, at school, or maybe at home, Lord God. But in all this, Lord God, may we see your purpose, Lord God. May we see your
Today, we will be discussing about truth, the gospel, and the Good Friday. And so, as reading of the word, may I invite everyone to please stand. We'll be reading from two verses from the scriptures, John chapter 14, verse 6, and John chapter 8, 31 and 32. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let us all be seated. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today that you are with us. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that we have heard today. Lord, continue to speak to our hearts and speak to your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're discussing about this, the truth, the gospel, and the Good Friday. This is what we have heard all throughout this morning. And uh, today, uh, I'd like to share something important to you, and particularly to the young people. As you may well know, we have our learning center here in our church, and we have kids now who are preteeners. They have their daily devotions in their learning center, and I decided to take out these preteeners and uh, for a more in-depth Bible study. In one activity, I learned that many of them have doubts about their faith, and these are children who grew up with us, and some of them are on the verge of not identifying themselves as Christian. So fundamentally, these young ladies and gentlemen are asking the usual challenges or questions against Christianity. In other words, they're basically asking and looking for truth. But truth, as you know, as taught by the world, is not absolute. If you ask the world, for them, truth is subjective and relative. It is not absolute. And truth being relative or subjective is against the notion or inconsistent with our Christian faith. Because Christians, we believe in absolute truths. The, those things that we have just heard a while ago were absolute truths, and we believe them. But sadly, our young people no longer believe in them. And many of our young people today, as I have learned, perhaps I am not so surprised, they no longer identify themselves as Christians. And I do not refer to the young people outside of our church. They are inside our so I had this activity with these teenagers. I asked the Acers to get a stick and a pen and with their best guesses, put a mark on a stick and with their best approximate, how long should an inch would be or in the metric system, 2.54 centimeter and thereby creating a mock ruler or their own version of ruler. So they did. So this is what they did. I asked them to mark. So what you see on the left is actually a picture of their best approximate how long 2.54 centimeter would be. And so I asked them to exchange their improvised rulers with their classmates and compare it with a standard store-bought ruler. 
And after comparing the two, this is my question. Do you think all of them got it perfectly? Or got it somewhat accurately? Obviously, none of them got it correct. None of their approximations of 2.54 centimeters is accurate. All of their guesses of 2.54 centimeter or an inch are either too short or too long or at least inconsistent. I ask this further, uh, I ask our pre-trainers further this, quest this question. Using their mock self-made rulers uh, using the stick, I ask them to construct or is it possible for them to construct a building like Mapex? Having several versions or using their own versions of 2.54 centimeters. And they said that they would not be able to build something, let alone probably an inch or a foot. Why? Because how can you build something with relative different versions of a measure? But you see, my version of 2.54 centimeters is different from my classmate. And then you will ask us to build something. His 75 or 275 meters will be different from my 275 meters. But you see, there is a standard 2.54 centimeter or an inch in the metric system. Wherever you go in the world, whether you're in Singapore, in the UK, or in the Philippines, that 2.54 centimeter would be the same elsewhere. Whether you take the 2.54 centimeter on a very snowy evening somewhere in Antarctica, or you take that 2.54 here in a very arid, hot summer day in Singapore, that measure, measure will remain constant. In other words, location to a factual truth is immaterial. Weather and time cannot affect factual truth. In other words, Truth is undisturbed by location, weather, or situation. It is constant. It is not changing. So like this 2.54 centimeters as absolute and standard, if we will apply this experiment to truth, you will, you will agree to me that there must be a standard of truth. And there are truths that whether you like it or not must be accepted because they are absolute. These teeners also learned that there must be a basis of things that which are more important than 2.54 centimeter, and that is truth. That is more important than measurement. Truth is important, my dear brothers and sisters, because our life depends on it. Imagine living your life always in a lie. Truth is necessary in life for various and endless reasons. So I asked these young teenagers, define to me the truth. In essence, they answered that truth is something that corresponds to reality. And they are correct. So this is the question. What does knowing truth got to do with Good Friday? We have established that truth is something that is constant because it corresponds to our reality. So what does truth or knowing truth got to do or get to do with uh, Good Friday? Good Friday 
commemorates and proclaims one of the most fundamentals and essentials of our faith. Am I right? The passion and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe this is true, and this truth must be believed. It cannot be subjected, affected by reason. It could not be relative, or we impose our own thoughts about it. Our salvation is hinged on the grace of God obtained through faith. Our salvation is hinged on this truth. This grace and love of God expressed through the sacrifice and death of the Son of God who, remain, who received the punishment on our behalf is truth to us. Someone paid our sin. Now, this absolute truth must be believed. Why? Because the truth about Jesus is vital because our salvation or damnation depends on this truth. You either believe this or you don't. There is no middle ground. So truth must be believed. Those things that we have heard a while ago, do we really believe them? It shocked me to the core that many of our young people here grew up here with us, sing with us, read the Bible with us, no longer identify themselves as Christians, young as 13 and 14 years old. Are you shocked? Why? Because it just tells us how much we as elders of this church carry the truth with us. So the truth must be believed, not just truth, but a biblical truth. And that brings me to my first point. We need to embrace and believe the truth. Particularly this truth about salvation. That God took on flesh, lived amongst us, and his sinless life bore our sin, gave his life, died a death that only ruthless criminals deserve and thereby redeeming the people who rebelled and sinned against him. I mean, how can you fathom that? If God is not good, why would he save people who mutinied and rebelled against him, who openly disobeyed him, and despite his compassion and love and grace to these people, still choose to hurt and become unfaithful to him? At best, what we deserve is punishment. Yet, the truth is, we didn't get what we deserve. Rather, we were given grace. A merit we do not deserve, a kindness we never get to earn, a love we are never worthy of, but still freely and willingly given by a compassionate, loving God. And so I asked one of our teenagers, and he asked this question. If I will now commit myself to believing this truth, to what is true, how can I believe something that I have not witnessed or seen? You see, these teeners, teeners of ours are starting to question their faith. They do not seem to think the way we think. They are exploring one of the assaults to Christianity. Certainly, Someone here, or perhaps none of us here, can validly claim to me that you have seen God with your own biological naked eyes. And anyone here who can claim to me now 
that you have seen God naked with your own biological eyes or heard Him with your biological ears. I don't think any one of you will. But you see, that is the question of our teenagers now. I have not seen Him, therefore I will not believe in Him. Well, we could not see God in our biological eyes because God says God is spirit. But you may consider that not all things we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, smell with our noses, uh, taste in our tongue, or feel in our skin are the only ones that would qualify as real or true. Certain things on earth cannot be perceived by our natural and biological senses but certainly can be experienced. Which proves, by experiencing them, you will know and you will derive that they are true and they exist. For example, justice and love. In other words, the notion, the statement, to see is to believe is a false argument when truth is being asked. Because there are certain things... That in this world that cannot be seen by your own biological eyes, but you can experience it. And therefore, by experiencing it, you will know that they are true. I've made an example like love, like justice or empathy. How many of you, have you are you here who have seen the color of love? What's the color of love? Have you seen the shape of love? Of course, you will say red or it's a hard shape. That's representation of it, right? But that's not what love is. How about justice? What's the color of justice? What's the shape of justice? What, does, uh, what sound does justice uh, produce? What is the taste of love or justice or empathy? Is it sweet? Is it bitter? Well, you cannot perceive this in your natural biological senses. But we believe there is justice. We believe there is love because we can experience it daily. These virtues are also true. You do not need any biological sense to prove or to know that they exist. Your experience proves that they exist. Helen Keller, the blind and deaf writer, felt love and confidence from her mentor, Anne Sullivan. And with that, despite her disability, she was able to powerfully communicate and write one of the most stirring words in the world of literature. She is a proof that while you may not be able to per perceive it in your natural biological senses, those things what you cannot touch, you hear, you smell, or feel in your skin are, re are real, and those things could change your life. Apply them with the notion of God. You know, Christianity has a peculiar way of describing truth. Truth for us is not a question of what. But who? Because someone claimed that the truth is he. And his name is Jesus. He claimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That is what he claims. He is not just the way. He, he is not just the life. But he is the truth. And by definition of truth, Jesus corresponds to our reality. His existence can be experienced. He shed light to all things that are lies. He is the way, the truth, and the light. He embodied truth, as in John 
chapter 1, verse 14. And it reads, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, truth for Christian is not just a question of what, but a question of who. Christianity professes truth that asks, who is the truth? Before asking, what is the truth? Because for Christians, for Christianity, truth is not a mere notion or a fact, but, I, but a reality embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And we know because he provided the greatest thing. Jesus provided the greatest thing that mattered in our lives, in our reality. And in the words of John in his epistle, 1 John 5.20, he said this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Jesus provided the greatest thing that mattered to our lives. And that thing that mattered to our lives is none other than our eternal life. Our reality of sinfulness, the reality of our punishment was matched by the greater reality and truth with His life, death, and resurrection. The factual reality of our death was defeated by the greater truth of Christ's love and the grace through his death on the cross. This matters to us that indeed the reality of our sinful past was triumphed by a greater truth of grace on our future in Jesus Christ. Those things matter to us and therefore truth matters. A truth that remained to be a concept will be a lie to you no matter how truthful they may be. And so it will lead me to my second notion. If you would want to embrace the truth, you must live out the truth that you believe. Following my earlier argument, if we have encountered something that is true, we must live that out. Do you agree? Because truth is painful at first, but beautiful in the end. Truth is difficult initially, but easy along the way. Truth is confronting, but liberating. Truth and freedom always go together. If we believe something that is true, and we live out that belief, if we believe, and it brought us truthful experience, corresponds to our reality, such truth must be lived out and shared. Going back, if we believe that truth must be believed, this truth must also be experienced. Now, this is my question. How much of these absolute truths we proclaim, like the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is so true to us and you have experienced? And how convinced are you with this truth that such truth will inform your actions? For example... The death and resurrection of Jesus are not just historical accounts to be believed, or whether or not you still doubt it, but to be believed out. So what is the message of Christ's death and resurrection? 
if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how will this truth influence the way we deal with our neighbors, work with our colleagues, deal with our employers, treat those under us, speak with other people? If death of Jesus means redemption, how does forgiveness to others sound like to you? If the resurrection of Jesus means more hope or means hope, how hopeful are you in your situations? Meaning, this truth of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot be mere empty statements, cannot just be platitudes or motherhood statements. They must be real. This truth must inform our actions. If you think you believe something that is true, you must live that out. And that would lead me to my third and final point. That if you will live out the truth that you will believe, you must proclaim the truth that you believe. I gave an example the truth about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For us, this is true because this is the gospel. The gospel is good news because it is the truth. And it's liberating. It gives us freedom. Jesus said that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus did not refer to any historical account. Jesus referred to himself. He is the truth. He claimed to be the truth. And he being the truth will set you free. If you have experienced truth in your life, you have to proclaim it. If you have been freed by Jesus Christ, you will not just embrace it, you will not just live it out, but ultimately, you will proclaim that truth. And let me say this, truth demands proclamation. Truth demands proclamation because the best and sure way to keep the truth is to share it. Now, if you embrace the truth about the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus as an absolute truth, if you live out that in your life such that all of your affections, your life, and all, of, all that you have, this truth will change you and change me and change all of us. You see, this truth must make a change in our lives. And that is perhaps why our young teenagers no longer believe in the way we believe. They no longer believe the truth that we proclaim. Because first, have they seen us embracing it? Have they seen us living it out? Have they seen us proclaiming it? We could not keep the truth if we will not share it. Because truth demands proclamation. Let the truth be heard. In the words of Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and I will end here, recounts to us how important and how relevant truth is and how it ought to be proclaimed. And it reads, In him you also, when you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
this truth matters to us. We need to embrace it. We need to leave it out. We need to proclaim it. If our children are no longer identifying themselves as Christian, we should be shocked. We should be wary. Because how are we going to bring this message across the street if our own children here no longer believes in that? Are you embracing that truth? Are you living out that truth? Are you proclaiming that truth? Truth is not just a concept. It is embodied in a person. He set us free. He sanctified us. He redeemed us. And with that, that truth demands proclamation. Teach others about him. Teach your children about these truths. And you know, there is a uh, commandment to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And we stop there. If you read that verse, it has a twin bill commandment. Teach it to your children. When they go up, when they go down, put them in their forehead and put them in their arms. Do they see a living proof that God exists in our lives? That's the challenge. So dear young ones who are searching for truth, to our parents who are finding the relevance of this truth, and to all of us who proclaim who believe and experience this truth, may you find him. And this truth can only be found in Jesus Christ. So this Good Friday, we already know this truth. Embrace it, live it out, and proclaim it. Let us pray, and after that, I will invite the congregation to sing this wonderful hymn. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you today. Teach us, O Lord, to embrace the truth that we believe, live out the truth that we believe, and proclaim the truth that we believe, O Lord, so that we may teach this truth to our children and share it to the world. Because this truth, our salvation and damnation, hinge on this truth. And so, Father, today I pray, allow us to experience you in a powerful way. Remind us the beauty of the gospel that we were sinners. We deserve the punishment of hell. But Father, in your grace, in your love, in your mercy, you have found us. And Lord, we will always declare that wonderful and glorious gospel. We were once lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. And Lord, may our children experience that as well. That they are blind, but they will be able to see. They are lost, and they will be found. May they experience you, O God, powerfully, beautifully. And so today, O Lord, we do not just do this out of ritual. May this truth that we proclaim be true in our lives. Let the gospel be true to every single individual who's here and for those listening in their homes. Let that gospel be true to them. We praise you, O Father, in Jesus' mighty name.
in you. Let us sing this hymn together and as we stand and as the worship lead us to this beautiful thank you for this wonderful moment that we can be together in prayer 
in remembering and commemorating your word, your truth, your gospel in our lives. Father, we are facing a difficult situation in our life, in a world facing COVID-19, in the face of war, in the face of calamity, in the face of our personal struggle, struggles and personal family problems. Father, I pray that the message of the gospel of hope, of peace, and resurrection will continue to bring us hope. And Father, today I pray that you will bless your people. And as they remember, as they contemplate and meditate on the message of the gospel, Father, may this truth bring hope to their lives and bring hope to their children. Father, speak to us and speak to your people. And so, Father, today I pray, we want to glorify you, we want to lift your name, we want to thank you for those who participated and became part of this wonderful service this morning. Lord, bless their time. And Lord, may we offer you our lives because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And in you, we have hope. May we have that wonderful blessing of you now and forevermore. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. And everybody say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thank you, my dear brothers and sisters. Thank you for those of you who have joined us online. And join us this coming Resurrection Sunday in our uh, Easter worship service. And God bless you all. May you have this wonderful moment of reflecting God's Word. Thank you, and God bless us all. And for those of you who join us online, thank you. We'll see you again next week.